Hello and welcome to the Shiny New Object Podcast. My name is Tom Ollerton and this is a podcast about the future of marketing. Every week or so, I have the pleasure to interview someone inspiring, important, insightful, entertaining, or all those things from the industry. And this week is no different. We have Susan Tucker, who is Head of Operations and Innovation at the Coca-Cola Company. I was introduced to Susan by the team at the Future Conference. That's F-U-T-R dot today. That is going to be in the 16th and 17th of October in Singapore. Uh, so I'm lucky enough to interview some of the speakers ahead of time. Uh, so hi, Susan. Thanks for joining us today. Hi, Tom. Lovely to be here. I don't know why I said us, like there's a room full of people. No, it's, <laughs> it's literally just me. So I hear my Still wonderful to be here. <laughs> so Susan, for anyone who's listening to the podcast who doesn't know who you are or what you do, could you give us an overview of your background and your job? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so my name is Susan Tucker, as you mentioned. I've been working in the marketing industry for about 13 years. Um, I've had the privilege of working on billion dollar brands at companies like the Procter & Gamble Company and now at the Coca-Cola Company. Um, so I've worked in brand management, integrated marketing communications, and now, as you mentioned, I'm working in marketing operations and innovation. I'm based in Singapore. Um, I've been working here in Asia for 10 years. I absolutely love it here. I firmly believe if you love marketing and if you're interested in the future of marketing, this is where you need to be. Um, so very exciting uh, that you'll be coming this way I hear and you'll be able to, to kind of experience Singapore yourself in a few weeks. Yes, very much looking forward to it. Uh, yeah, I'm going to be there for the conference. We, all, we also have clients in Singapore, so I'd, I'd like to think it will be a, a fun trip. But I'm, I think it's going to be quite a lot of hard work. But, but um, I, I want to jump back to something you said. You said if, if you're in, interested in working in marketing, uh, mm. Asia's the place to be. Uh, I'm sure it's a, a big claim. <laughs> it's a big, big claim. Can you put some, put some weight behind that claim? Oh, yes, sure. Um, okay, so I think a couple of maybe like little factoids uh, to give some credibility to it is um, you, you probably would know and your listeners would know that certainly Asia has the biggest population globally, but you may not know it also has the youngest population globally and the highest penetration of mobile and the highest incidence of e-commerce. So if you put those things together, it's a really interesting space where you're constantly innovating and challenging yourself as a marketer on how to continue to reach and delight uh, these um, challenging, I suppose you could say, discerning consumers. Uh, as we all know, you know, the younger kids are getting harder and harder to, to kind of win over these days and are expecting more and more. The other thing that's really interesting, I think, about this region and not necessarily spoken about a lot it has the highest uh, percentage of the global Muslim population actually lives in Asia. And why I think that's interesting is that they have a huge amount of spending power and are currently really underserved. So meaning that uh, if you're a Muslim consumer, you would have certain things you're looking for, like a halal product or um, you know, Muslim-friendly fashion design. But most of the big companies and a lot of the smaller companies are not designing or serving um, 
that group yet. So that's an interesting space to keep an eye on as well. And I think you'll see a lot of uh, the innovation coming from this region when it comes to serving the Muslim consumer as well. So it's interesting for you to talk about innovation from a, from an audience and, and product perspective. I was expecting you to talk about the, the, the proliferation of different channels. I and mean, obviously um, in each market in Asia, there are some like stronger local market players. Um, whereas, uh, you know, whether it's WeChat or, you know, we were briefed on a, on a, um, on a brief for Hotstar in India, which is sort of the, uh, the sort of Netflix challenger over there. And I, I had literally no idea about it. So it's interesting to know that you're thinking much broader than just the, the actual individual bits of tech. So um, other than the, the growing, uh, growing attention of brands on the Muslim population, what, what are the other trends that you're seeing that are in, in that vein or that would surprise a UK and US audience? <laughs> yeah, I think, and you've kind of touched on it a little bit, um, especially if we look at say china the the it would blow your mind and it continues to blow my my mind just how advanced they are for example you mentioned wechat so i think most of us are pretty familiar with whatsapp which is like the very baby baby brother to to wechat so wechat is everything you love about whatsapp but it's also a completely integrated e-commerce experience and a multimedia experience. And that's been around for years and years now, but not really outside of certain markets within Asia. It certainly hasn't broken into Europe or, or US yet, but the level of sophistication is there. So to your point, you know, I think it would surprise anyone outside of Asia and even those inside Asia like myself, just the level of sophistication and advancement when it comes to finding new ways to use that technology locally, um, there's a lot that we could learn and, and potentially scale, but you have to be on your toes because there's always something new popping up, whether it's a new social media, you know, TikTok's exploding now, uh, all sorts of um, local nuances that you really have to be constantly paying attention, finger on the pulse to make sure that you're connecting uh, and, you know, relating in the right ways. So, Susan, I've met, well, I've spoken to you a couple of times, um, and I'd like to immediately go off piste with this interview. Um, <laughs> if, if this goes terribly, we can all, always stop recording. Okay. Did you? I'm assuming you you saw the Amazon launches yesterday. The Amazon launches for the Amazon for Amazon Echo. I haven't. You haven't, that, right? Okay, no. Is I, that the I, off piece not going well? It, it must have, no, it's going really badly. So what I'm going to do is I'm just going to read out some of the of the 14 uh, Echo advancements that they've that they've done, right? So I'm just okay. Gonna, right. So um, there's Echo Loop, which is a, a, a Amazon Echo in a ring, where you can mm. uh, put your hands on your ears and you can you can use it like that i think so it's, it's it literally goes on your ring there's echo frames which is glasses that that, mm. that play audio earbuds like you might imagine <laughs> this one called amazon fetch which is like a tracker so you put it on your dog collar or on your wow on your... <laughs> what's going on then there's an <laughs> amazon smart oven which is a microwave you can talk to and security, nice. security camera, cameras. And then there's uh, uh, like, cause they bought ring. So there's all kind of sort of um, doorbell right. stuff. This was um, yesterday. 
yeah, I've got yeah, to catch yeah. up. <laughs> so I only, I literally read it as when I woke up this morning. Not that I'm, nice. you know, I've got, I do literally do have better things to do, but I just thought it, an echo glow, which is a kind of, um, you know, one of those lights that you have for, for kids, but you could talk like to, a night anyway, light. Yeah. Thank you. A night light. Yeah. Um, and there's wow. electors really plugged into different, um, kids apps. So a lot of education services. Um, yeah. So anyway, sorry, that was, that really didn't work at all, but there you go. Um, but I'm it's all... worked for me because I'm going to dive into this as soon as we hang <laughs> up. How amazing. Cause we all knew this was coming, but to be honest, I didn't actually anticipate it so quickly. Yeah. And I think in fairness, I've just looked at the hardware. There's apparently there's lots of upgrades to the software as well around like the using like celebrity voices, like Samuel L. Jackson. Um, but also <laughs> it's supposed to detect your, your frustration like so if you're like no alexa i do wow. not want to listen to michael jackson it would it, it would take a punt it uh, sort of having a guess at your tonality uh, that's I'm sure there's amazing a, yeah well if it works that is you know i think that's a i, I think that i was an, an innovation person uh, and you are an innovation person and i think that innovation people see the upside of everything you're like, oh my God, wouldn't it be so great if Samuel L. Jackson could talk to you? But that might be the world's most irritating thing if all you want to do is, you know, work out when the next train is or whatever. So, Especially if you sound frustrated all the time. <laughs> you just have like the equivalent of resting bitch face, but tonally. Yeah, yeah, I think I, think I might have that. Anyway, look, <laughs> I, I've, I've thrown you under a bus here, but um, let, let's, uh, let's move <laughs> I on. I wish you could have said yes. Um, but yeah, an Amazon ring. How weird. Anyway, look, uh, I think um, I, we're going to get to know you the the official way of, of the podcast, unless me throwing you under a bus with things that you may <laughs> not have. Apologies. So, no worries. So, in terms of things that you've bought with your own money that you've used for work, what like the best investment of your own mm. money? What what are the things or thing that you have? spent your own cash on that you use for work this is maybe a little bit old school and not particularly cutting edge but honest to god i would say books really truly mm. truly um and i especially like the the actual uh, um hard copy books which again is maybe you know not not particularly innovative um but I, I do think it's the best investment. I do have Audible. I do have eBooks, and I love podcasts as well as, of course, your podcast is my absolute favorite. <laughs> but in general, feeding my mind um, and and sort of challenging myself and stimulating my mind, especially my imagination, new concepts, um, new ideas, new language, you know, all of that. I feel like it's really been an important part of what's made me curious. Um, and what's made me creative and what's enabled me to keep growing throughout my life, not just my career, no matter what. So I'm not reliant on my, you know, my exact company assignment to give me my growth. I can um, learn whatever I want to learn by reading. So I think in that respect, time and money and energy, I do believe it's the best use um, that I could so, recommend, actually. So how do you decide what to read? Ooh, such an interesting question. I don't know if this um, 
is a cop-out answer, but I, I do read a lot of different things. <laughs> so it may well be that I, I, I do read according to mood. So that might explain why I have fiction, non-fiction, um, lots of different genres. I, I tend to kind of have, um, I have a lot of time, this is getting really honest, I have a lot of time in airports um, waiting for flights, waiting, waiting to move um, into the next part of my business trip. And I always will spend that time in a, the, whatever the bookstore mm. in that terminal is. And I think that's a big part of how I make my choices. I'm browsing, I'm reading, you know, backs of books. Um, another thing that I think influences me is I listen, as I mentioned, to a lot of podcasts. Um, and maybe not coincidentally, they tend to be interviewing um, authors and I guess the authors are keen to get some promotion behind their latest book. Right. So they, they explain the concepts a bit. And sometimes it's like, that sounds really cool. And I'll pick that up. Often those I'll do as an ebook, but um, yeah, there's no, no real, it's kind of just whatever's striking my fancy and kind of hits a chord or seems interesting. Right. Okay. And so, when do you read? Because you, you've got a young family and you've got a big yes. job and you travel a lot. <laughs> and outside of you know, cramming in hardbacks that you've bought in the airport, when, do you go, right, I'm going to read half an hour a day or half an hour a week? Or do you block out on your calendar? How, how do you make sure that you prioritize reading? Yes. Okay. I think the only way I've managed to continue it consistently is to do it before bed. So part of my like wind down ritual would include reading um part of a book and I have a stack of books by my bed all different books I don't finish one before I start the next one so that's how I manage to make sure I'm reading every day because some days you don't feel like sort of the heavy physics focused book that you were reading some days you want something lighter so I have kind of like a catalog <laughs> that I can um, choose according to how I'm feeling at the end of that day that's the way I manage if it's a really good book and it's gripping me I'll bring it with me um, like in my bag throughout the day so if there's some dead time the same way you might listen to a podcast I'll pull out my book um, but that's not all books so Sorry, I wasn't intending on getting stuck on this point, but I find it fascinating. So how do you make sure that the books you're reading don't reinforce your opinion and challenge you? Mm. Ah, how do I make sure it doesn't reinforce my opinion and challenge me? So I, I'm really bad at seeing a book title or a podcast title mm. that it's like um, how AI will change the, the world. Oh, yeah, yeah, brilliant, brilliant. And so because I've already bought into that and bought into that like, mm. a long time ago and run a business that is trying to be part of that, um, it, it, it's much easier. There's it's, it's far less resistance cognitively, I think, to get into a book that you already kind of agree with. Whereas yes. like, and a book that was like, I don't know, the, the, the rise of the affluent Muslim population in yes. like, I, you know, well, now I'd probably pick it up. But do you know what I mean? It's, it's, <laughs> it's like things that jar with I, you. How, how yes. do, you get, oh, do you force yourself to get over that barrier? Or I just, I'm just curious to know more. It's about such a good question. No, seriously, such a good question. Because so much of what we do is exactly what you described, like these subconscious biases and just attracted to the things that already, you know, we're aligned with. 
So I love the question. And it actually, I, my answer, I'm only just realizing it is I have a lot of books that I don't touch. Um, like I buy it because I know I should, because it'll challenge me, but it takes some, um, time to kind of warm up to reading it or to finally just crack open that book. Do you know what I mean? So I'm like, I know this is going to be a great book for me to read. And then it just sits there and it gathers dust and I can't pretend, um, otherwise like really. And then I'm, I have to kind of, um, the good thing about the hard, the hard, um, the, the tangible book is it stares you in the face. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's looking at you and you're looking, you can't pretend it's not there. So at some point you'll go, I really should read that book or let me just start reading that book. Let me maybe just look at um, the first chapter and then you kind of ease yourself into it. But to your point, yeah, you have to, I think anytime you're trying to challenge yourself to not just do things automatically or subconsciously, it helps to have like a visual reminder. Um, so having the actual book there haunting me helps. It's, it's interesting because books in that sense almost become a, a public statement of intent. You know, I've, I've done that. I've oh, I love brought, that. <laughs> brought them into the office and gone, you know, here's like 700 pages on, you know, writing algorithms in Russian mm. or whatever. And like, and, and part, if I'm honest, part of me wants everyone to go, oh, wow, like he's really into yes. that kind of book. Have I read it? Have I fuck? But enough, and what, another thing that I find in, well, we don't work in a WeWork, but in a kind of similar version. And I think it's so interesting that people have realized that being sat down all day, it's really bad for your back. Uh, and so mm. you get these kind of extensions to your desk where you can stand. But in mm. a, a lot of startups and a lot of startup founders, I see that they use these books to prop up their laptops. You, you've got the, um, the lean startup and then you've got like, you know, um, I don't know how, how brands grow or whatever. Like you've got all these mm. kind of classic marketing and startup <laughs> books that are actually just literally there as a table to hold. It's like decoration. Laptop. Yeah, you like look at these books that I might accidentally read if I took my laptop off. Anyway, it's not. No, I find that really interesting again because again I'm. No, I love it. I'm I'm such a um, a brand orientated person, and what you're talking about is so true because it's it's saying something. We're trying to say something about ourselves with the book that we put there for people to see. This is who I am, or who I'm aspiring to be. Um, you know, so absolutely, and it just. Books are, books are products too, right? Yes, indeed they are. Um, but we're, I think we've, I've dragged this down a rabbit hole <laughs> twice, twice already. Um, it's all your fault, by the it way. Is, it is. I'm just yeah, following you down control, the road. Lost control of this drastically. <laughs> right, okay. So what, what new beliefs or behaviours have you started using or adopting in the last five years or so that have had a significant impact on your career? Yeah, so this one, I kind of, oh, I thought about it. Should I be as honest as I can be? And I've decided yes, to be as honest yeah. as I can be. Yes, it is a bit painful because I'm a little bit of sh ashamed of it. Um, what, what I, at least I can say I, I have grown past it, but what I used to believe um, and the way I used to behave was that results were the most important thing in my business context meaning results over people, um, including myself. So if I explain that a little bit more, it was like, you know, um, the focus was on whether it was growing the business or, or launching the product or designing the new innovation that had to be 
so excellent and delivered so quickly um, that it was almost like everything else could be sort of um, steamrolled or fall away in, in lieu of achieving that goal. So meaning that, you know, working crazy hours, um, not necessarily interacting with people in, you know, a loving and caring way might be a bit more transactional, a bit more, yeah, you laugh because you know what I mean. It's like sometimes if you're getting so stressed out about that result, you're not thinking about the person's feeling, you're thinking about how to get it done. And I have to admit, I don't know if it was all just myself or if it was in part the culture of the environment um, or what, but certainly uh, uh, my early career, that was kind of the, the way I behaved and I was delivering wonderful results but I felt like crap like physically emotionally um I would get super burnt out at at, you know moments I'd have these kind of peaks and troughs of of my own energy because it was just this obsession with the result and what I've learned maybe a little bit more than five years ago thankfully um it's actually the other way around even if that seems counterintuitive like it, it is people over results because that will actually end up getting you the result. Like there's a quote, which I think explains it best. If I uh, remember it, it says, I think it's an African quote. It says, if you want to go fast, you go alone. If you want to go far, you must go together. And I think that explains it. You can get short-term results burning like crazy through the fuel of yourself, of your team, of your, you know, emotional equity um, or emotional bank account, if you, you know that expression, the trust can get burnt through, but you'll deliver. But you can't necessarily do it again and again and again because you're all lying on the battlefield, right? So I think um, actually taking the time to build effective teams, meaning like a team where you know each other, you trust each other, you care about each other, there's like a feeling of safety, there's a respect for each other, um, first and foremost, and making that the priority will actually mean that, yes, you can deliver those results, but then you can deliver them again and again and again. And it actually starts fueling like a beautiful virtuous cycle that you start becoming this really high performing team that keeps getting better and better results and feeling better and better about themselves and their results and their team. And it's just this beautiful thing as opposed to kind of burning out, grinding out, wheels falling off, which as I mentioned, was what was happening to me and to be honest to a lot of the people that I was working with. So that's lovely. That's really nice. And you've painted this <laughs> from a from an, an African quote. It's just from <laughs> just from somewhere in Africa, just somewhere. Um to you moving from being a kind of, you know, results focused crazy person that was weird to people mm-hmm. to being a kind of people centric person that runs successful teams that pr- provide results like i just need more detail on that like how, like how do you what are the what are the key things there because mm. you know your boss comes down and says right we need this thing delivered by xyz and mm. there is there, i assume you still have that reflex of going and you know yeah. to throw yourself at it but how 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 do you work together with your team when the rest of the business wants you to act alone, uh, go fast and act alone? No, I don't want to go into too much yes. detail specifically, but just help me understand how you, how you kind of uh, achieve the utopia that you just described. I, 
totally fair question because it's, and look, it's never a perfect um, situation, but I think um, a couple of like tangible uh, things that I think can help is actually taking some time um, as a team and maybe it's a smaller group, it depends on, you know, who, who you work with, but taking some time to kind of co-create um, what you want your culture to be. And like, for example, our team's done something called culture commandments. It doesn't sound like, you know, maybe as sexy as it could, but really <laughs> it was like figuring out, it was pretty, pretty literal, figuring out as a team, what do we all believe is important in how we treat each other and how we get the work done. And it came out um, these elements that were important to our team, which funnily enough are the sort of standard elements that we understand are important for any team. But the process of doing it together and coming together and generating that together gives everyone a sense of ownership and accountability, um, at least, you know, from a peer perspective. So by having that, I think is important. So you're all on the same page of how we want to work and how we will each, you know, personal leadership uh, behave in this way. So that helps. And then that's all fine and dandy. But to your point, what can happen is, you know, a curveball comes in, something, you know, unexpected happens, or there's something top down that's like a bomb that's needed to be dealt with urgently. So that utopia, as you were kind of joking, um, is not possible all the time. Um, you still need to be able to obviously react and make exceptions. But I think, um, I think it's about how we do it um so like a bit of what i was describing about how i w was a bit transactional like this needs to be done so it will just get done at least if you can acknowledge hey this is an exceptional situation it might mean that we're going to have to come together and do some late nights like here's you know how we're going to get there i appreciate that this is going to you know put some stress in the system on your personal lives and just as a team in general um, here's how we're going to try and, you know, celebrate that success when we get there. Um, a big part of it, I feel in general business or any human group is actually acknowledging and appreciating and valuing people's efforts can go a really long way as opposed to just expecting more and more and feeling, uh, you know, people feeling taken advantage of. If they feel um, valued, people will, you know, go over and above without resenting it. I think the resentment and the negativity can come up when they're not feeling uh, appreciated or valued or recognized. And that's just kind of a human nature thing. Oh, thank you so much for going into detail on that. Um, and I, I like your culture commandments. That's uh, <laughs> like, don't need to tell me what they are, but um, that, yeah, that is, that rings through and so much of what we do as well. So yeah, that's a, that's really, really good insight into how you, how you do what you do. But a sort of related question to that is mm. that yes you do get these curveballs um yeah you're working across a pretty large region and i know as being a an innovation person that there's so much going on to to, to, mm. to a point earlier about the amazon conversation like you know 17 new products just landed in the market and mm. we as marketers have to kind of work out what that means, if anything. So mm. how, do you, how do you deal with the overwhelm and the scale of knowledge that you, I assume that you are expected to have about all things marketing on all channels? You mean, how do I kind of in, like digest it and make sure that I'm... 
no, in sorry, touch I, with I, it? Or? I made the question needlessly flamboyant. Uh, how do you deal with overwhelm? <laughs> how do you deal with the, the, oh, right. the, the scale and speed of what you're expected to deliver? Yeah, yeah. I think um, absolutely. It's, and it's probably only just going to get more and more insane, just the fact that we're all plugged in 24-7. There's so much happening. It's not necessarily going to slow down, right? Um, so I, I think there's, um, there's a few things that I've kind of learnt over the years um, that I would sort of recommend highly. One is, um, is this concept called nature bath. <laughs> it's a Japanese concept. I have no idea how to say it in the actual Japanese language, but it's as it sounds. So the idea is if you can take time to bathe in nature, so um, phone obviously not in your hand, like your mind is, is free to immerse yourself in the experience and you step outside, um, hopefully you can find somewhere near the office that actually has some greenery or some running water or some sunshine, um, even better if there's a park nearby or, or something that's, that's a bit more immersive. But the idea is you just take such a short period of time, five minutes, it can be five to 15, whatever, but a short period of time to just bathe in nature, just breathe and walk and hear the sounds. Maybe it's running water, maybe it's, you know, birds twittering or the breeze through the leaves. And it really just can ground you and almost like wash away whatever, um, you know, was stressing you out or bothering you. And I think there's a science to it um, that they're now discovering as often happens with Eastern um, ideas. We then figure out the Western science matches and it makes sense, but they've known this for a long time. The science does show that the, the, the greenery, the nature reduces your cortisol, which is the chemical that's released when you're stressed or when something comes up or when you're under pressure. So it does actually have a physical, it's not just a mental relaxation. It physically calms you down and kind of like relaxes you and flushes you out of the stressy chemicals. So that is my number one. If you can do it, it's not always possible. Of course, um, but if you can step outside, even just to get in, in the sun sometimes, or just to get out of the aircon, uh, we have aircon in all our office buildings here because it's so humid outside. Um, just getting outside for a minute would be my number one. But please tell me that during the day you stand up and tell your team, I'm just popping out for a nature bath. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I don't think I've ever said it. <laughs> I might have to own own way yeah <laughs> they'll be like sorry what um yeah okay i might have to take that on i'll have to explain it again but um yeah number one i would say is that one and then um the other one i'd say is really finding the funny in things and the the kind of the ridiculousness or the absurdity in in situations to me is actually the best like especially when it's like oh my god when you're feeling overwhelmed as you as you mentioned to me, I, I sometimes find that really funny because it's like, this is actually so ridiculous, like how, how crazy the expectation is or how much this is blown out of proportion or how, and I just find something in it that makes me kind of smile or giggle, even better to share that laughter with someone else. I don't mean like, you know, being sarcastic and ripping the request to shreds. I mean, really just, just seeing it as a bit funny and finding humor in a situation um, can be really really good way to kind of dissolve your stress and then the last one oh sorry no go on this is brilliant it's just yeah <laughs> going. yeah yeah um 
this also helps you go from being transactional to being a people person, having these things so you can stay in a, a, a good, um, you know, relaxed state. Um, the third one I would say, which has been super helpful for me, is practicing gratitude. So I do that every morning. Um, there's an app um, that you can use, or obviously you could use a diary or just think about it. But there's an app that I use. Um, it's it five called? minutes. Five minutes gratitude. It's a little five icon, and it sort of walks you through what are you grateful for, uh, what happened today that you're grateful for. It just gives you little prompts. You can upload a photo, um, and it reminds you each day to to do it. So do they um, uh, do they target ads based on what you're grateful for? <laughs> I haven't noticed yeah. that. That would completely freak Sorry, me I'm, out. I'm being uh, massively cynical there, but uh, yeah, right. Not so yet. How long, so how long have you been using this for? Is this a, a is this like a staple of yours or something you've just been experimenting with? I've um, just started using the app since I actually heard it recommended on a podcast by someone else. Um, but before then, I've played with other ways of trying to bring the gratitude into the morning. Um, different kind of ways to remind myself to do it but this app I have found really helpful because we always have our phone if I forget to do it it prompts me it's nice to be able to even upload a photo um I'm a very visual person so I enjoy that because you can also go back it's like a record and just flick through and see what you were grateful for and you start to see sort of themes um it does it does really help you to keep perspective um and not kind of you know fall into a dark mood um, because you can kind of re remind yourself of what, you know, how wonderful things really are. So it does sound a bit woo woo, but I think gratitude is becoming less woo woo and Not more. Not as woo woo as a nature bath, I'll be honest. But okay. Okay. Yeah, cool. <laughs> it's, it used to be a lot more woo woo, but, um, yeah, I do think people are really getting on, on board this gratitude train. I certainly have. And I think, um, again, the science is backing it up. It releases certain chemicals. It gives you perspective. Um, yeah, I, I I really agree, and I think one of our irres irresponsibilities of marketers is to pull on emotions where we tell people that they need a thing that they don't have, totally, or to buy more of the thing that we have that that they have, uh, and I, I always say this about London in particular: it's, it's very quick to remind you what you don't have as a city mm. and as a as a culture, whereas uh, the the movement. Or the behavior around gratitude is you know if you find I, I i have done it in the past but as with all things mindfulness they all kind of uh, bite the dust eventually with me but in mm. that time when i have articulated in some form what i'm grateful about i feel far better than buying that thing or that beer or that whatever absolutely because it connects you to the, the huge and important things in your life that you often forget about i think um but absolutely. susan uh, uh, this has been the most chaotic podcast i've ever done uh, and we literally really? have 10 minutes left to talk about your, shi your shiny new object um okay so, um I was supposed to ask you what this was at the start of the podcast, but I failed to do that as well. So, um, <laughs> what? So, what is your thing, belief, or behaviour? Your shiny new object that you want to talk about? Um, yeah, I, I look. I have um, such an interest in empowering women, especially in the workforce. That is a huge topic, um, and there's a lot I could say about it, Tom. And to your point about time, I, I. I don't even know if I should dive into that too deeply, but I Go think to it. actually 
focus on the shiny new object aspect of that. Um, I am a new mum, uh, as you mentioned, and I work full time in a fairly demanding job. So um, part of what helps, it, you know, enable me and empower me to be able to still be focused on my career is technology. So there's probably two kind of paths of technology that I absolutely am reliant on to be able to be, um, you know, a working mum. One is the fairly obvious technology of, of what we use to be able to work remotely. Uh, and most people have access to that, whether it's on their phone or their laptop. You know, we can do Zoom like we're doing now. We can do Google Hangouts. There's Blue Jeans. Um, there's a million different ways to stay in touch and, and to be able to work with people remotely uh, through video calls and, and all sorts of things. So that's incredibly helpful uh, for someone who needs flexibility in their schedule. Um, and then obviously not just for mums. It, it's incredibly helpful for everyone, I think, because part of what needs to happen when we're working the 24-7 round the clock that we're now all working uh, is we do need that flexibility to come and counter that out so that we're not completely burnt out and we can have some, you know, control over how we, you know, run through our day and how we deliver our work output. So the technology that enables flexibility with work um, is amazing, absolutely. The other technology, which is a bit more... Um, for time poor people is just using e-commerce and delivery. I literally don't buy anything that I don't buy online. Um, I, anything that I need, if it's from a banana to like a children's birthday present to something for myself to um, a book, everything I, I buy online and get delivered to my house because I just don't have the time to spare to be shopping. And the amount of time that saves me is kind of mind-blowing, but it's reliant on having apps or services that you can really trust that have their logistics down, um, that, you know, have great customer service, good return policies. Um, so for that, you know, I actually really have to say that I've gone to the dark side of, you know, Amazon. You could, you could say it's the dark side because they seem to be taking over the world slowly but surely. They do it really well. So they're a huge lifesaver for me. Um, Amazon Prime is, is what we have in this part of the world. And there's a few other more local um, delivery apps that I don't think you would be familiar with in the UK, like Redmart, Lazada. Um, and then just kind of across it all is WhatsApp. How do we live our lives without WhatsApp? I need that in every part of being a working mother, um, staying in contact, you know, with my child's school, with my husband, with my workmates, um, even with my family back home in Australia. Uh, I, I love WhatsApp. If I, I could run my whole career just using WhatsApp, I'm pretty confident. It's, it's an amazing tool. I, I adore it. So thanks for pointing out some kind of obvious things and uh, you've got a really nice way of, of pulling the, the obvious and resonant meaning out of things where like, I just hadn't thought of putting it in those ways. Like yeah, shopping online saves you time. Why go to a shop when you could spend that time doing a PowerPoint deck? No, sorry, I'm being trying again. But yeah, you're absolutely <laughs> right. But I, I really want to go back just for a few minutes. Like you say you're passionate about empowering women in the workforce. And I think mm. you've, you've talked about how um, using those very uh, common technologies, be it Prime, be it WhatsApp, be it video mm. conferencing, can help working remotely for like, you know, a, a mum returning to work, for example. Mm. Um, but what do you want to see change in the next six months 
when it comes to empowering women in the workforce? Ah, so see, here's what I meant about like, do we want to get into this? I have a lot of, <laughs> I'll answer the question. I think, look, there's, I actually think that um, there's a few things. One of them you kind of touched on earlier when you were asking about how do you make sure that when you're choosing a book, you're not just choosing one that reinforces your own point of view, right? I think that subconscious bias that we have is, is there, um, and uh, even when it comes to, you know, helping women progress in their career, and I think it is both in the offices, um, people have subconscious biases, people like to hire people who are like themselves, and actively we need to challenge ourselves on that and make sure that we're aware that that's the natural behaviour so that we're not just continuing to do that. Um, but also at home. So what I mean by that is, you know, there's also a subconscious bias um, generally that women should be the ones who are the people who should stay home um, or if they're working, they should still be the main person who is looking after the child um, and running the household. Like there's some statistics that you've probably heard or, you, you know, listeners would have heard before, which is like women do three times the amount of housework and twice the amount of childcare, even though they're working sometimes more hours than the husband. And I don't think it's a matter of the husbands or, or men being... Um, disinterested in in doing more I think it goes even deeper than this which is why I was wondering if we should even get into it which is that people um there's this kind of like social construct or this social fabric where there's an expectation that the women do do that there's gender role um kind of biases and that sometimes can hold the men back from doing more of that they might want to but if they say in the office I need to take a day off to look after my sick child um, maybe their workmates won't support them in the same way that they would if the, the woman did. So I think it's a very complex um, sort of issue and a lot of it just comes from the hangover of, of kind of uh, generations before, which was much more sexist and much more, um, you know, defined gender roles. And we're still kind of, as I say, it's like a hangover of those perceptions of how women should be and how men should be is still there. It's sort of like smoke hanging around us while we're actually still trying to change the reality of, of what women are actually doing. And most women are working um, and sometimes, as I said, earning the same or more or uh, putting in the same or more hours, but yet there's still this expectation from men and women from colleagues and family all around us that the women should be doing more at home in addition to that. And I think that's where, I don't know how to solve it instantly, that's for sure, but I think we need to keep being aware of it and talking about it. And I think if we can start solving for that so that there's more equality even in the home, um, we'll find that there's less women dropping out of, you know, pushing themselves when it comes to their career in favour of looking after the house. Susan, I wish there was something I could say after that point but I think you've said it all and thank you for saying it and you're absolutely right we do need to keep talking about it and yeah you, once again you mentioned things that I'm like oh yeah yeah I, I, yeah, I can see that being true in, in my own life um, absolutely I'm far from perfect um, but thank you for articulating that so 
concisely and just before the, no the time that the podcast finishes um i'm absolutely cut it we have to stop talking um but i literally have to go um thanks so much for sharing so many great bits of advice from culture commandments through to finding the funny through to <laughs> provoking us um at working at home to make sure that we aren't letting our biases about um, pre-accepted roles um, of women in work and at home get in the way of all of us progressing together right if you want to go fast we go alone if we want to go oh, far we go together summarized, Tom. <laughs> god i'm emotional thank you <laughs> Shut up. um right susan if someone wanted to get in touch with you about anything how would you want them to do that um yes come find me on linkedin or facebook um instagram susan e tucker is is how you can find me and reach out and uh, always open to, to making new connections and having a chat. Amazing. Thank you so much. Thank you, Tom.